KPFA member community now. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover Open Book. Good afternoon and welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book. Today we mark the second anniversary of Katrina by presenting Youth Radio's Generation Katrina, Youth Voices from New Orleans. Stay tuned. This is a Youth Radio special, Generation Katrina, Youth Voices from New Orleans. I'm your host, Jara Jackson. Dima, Dima, Dima. We're sorry. All of our agents are assisting other callers. It may take 10 minutes or more to answer your call. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to New Orleans, Louisiana. For the next hour, I'll take you to my hometown, and you'll hear what it's really like to live in New Orleans. We'll bring you a street corner conversation about living in the same violent neighborhood where I grew up. We'll tell you why many New Orleans youth believe that God sent Hurricane Katrina to New Orleans. And throughout the show, we'll bring you original music from students at New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. But first, we'll hear from me and a few of my friends. All I want is a real bed. I'm tired of sleeping on this futon. I keep my trailer as clean as I can. It's, it's just it's, it's just crazy. That's Angel Fascio. She and a couple of my other friends were hanging out. We are all students at the University of New Orleans. Before Katrina, we talked about shopping and what we were going to wear to the club. But now, our conversations are about things like affordable housing and FEMA trailers. It's like New Orleans has such a you-can't-break-me mentality. And I thank God for that because if we didn't, I mean, all the negative, you think the country would have just been a little bit kinder to us. But it's like, okay, we gave y'all money, now shut up. If you lost everything you owned since you were a baby, everything your parents knew, your grandparents knew, for some reason society thinks that, okay, we tossed you a few dollars, now you can shut up. That does nothing. I mean, money is nice. I mean, people in New Orleans were poor, but we had, like, a rich spirit. So once you kind of, like, deducted so much from our spirit, it was like, okay, we got this money, but let us rebuild mentally, you know? Like, predominantly for some city of New Orleans, predominantly African-American community, but yet it was still diverse. But I think they're really trying to drive out the African-American community 
I think they're trying to turn New Orleans into a mini Las Vegas, and yeah. that's why they're pushing out the residents, because they want it to just be like a tourist town and just... I don't even think it's so much race. It's power. It's power, and it's a poor city. It always has been. It's a poor city, and I think it's so easy to pull the race card, but I think a rich African-American, oh, they'll welcome them with open arms. But we don't want your Section 8, your HUD-needing people here anymore. They want to build... New Orleans into the tourist mecca of the South. But what they don't understand is people come to New Orleans for the culture. For the people. Mm -hmm. For the people. And the poor African American, the poor white, the poor Vietnamese, Vietnamese, anybody. That's what has made New Orleans the tourist place to be. Not not this Las Vegas. Las Vegas doesn't have any culture. And what they're going to do is really I think gonna make them make it backfire on them because it's the culture, it's the people, it's how we dance, it's how we get in the street, throw a party, do anything. That's what they're missing out on. They wanna get all this revenue, but they're gonna drive their revenue away. Nobody wants to come to this new Las Vegas when they know that's all it is. Those are the voices of Angel Fascio, Christy McKinley, Shakura Adamathanian, and me, Jar Jackson. This is the way I live. As college students, we're supposed to be the next generation of community leaders. But the truth is, with the city's slow rebuilding process and lack of opportunities, it's hard to know whether or not we're going to stay after graduation. The Robinson family stayed in their ninth ward home for seven long days after the hurricane. Fifteen-year-old Angelica Robinson takes us back to that moment and tells us how the experience has changed them. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, that's a microphone. Yeah. My name is Angelica Robinson, and this is a story about my family. I have four younger brothers. My name is Robert Robinson Jr. My name is Christopher Robinson. My name is Raymond Robinson. <laughs> and my mom was pregnant with my youngest brother Elijah when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. After Katrina, we stayed in our house for seven days. Each day felt like a week. We all lost weight and started to look sickly. I lost 10 pounds, and the back of my hair started falling out in clumps. My brother Raymond got little red dots all over his face. My pregnant mom worried that she might lose Elijah. Chris's hair got so long that he had an afro for the first time in his life. It was hot. The water surrounding our home smelled like rotten cabbage. And my brothers and I thought we were going to die. On the sixth day, we celebrated my brother Robert's birthday. I had the thick pile of cookies for my birthday. My brothers made paper little toys for me. And after um, we sing happy birthday, I wished that the water went down. I looked at the window, and then there was grass sticking out the out the water. I said, "Whoa, okay, grass!" And everybody ran ran to the door and looked. It looked like my wish coming true. We didn't think that the storm would be as bad as it was, and that's why we stayed. 
It was a terrible week. But what alternatives did we have? My dad says that we didn't have any. No way in the world I would have brought my family to the Superdome where we are home, we are safe, and then we use resources inside the house for our survival. After a week of sitting around the house thinking that we might die, my family evacuated to Memphis for six weeks. In some ways, it worked out for the best. My parents cleaned the walls and the floors of our home as soon as the water emptied out of it. That saved us from the mold that consumed almost every other house in our neighborhood. When we returned to New Orleans, we didn't have any neighbors. But for better and for worse, staying that week changed us. My mom, Angelique, feels mixed about the whole thing. Well, sometimes I like to talk about how strong you are as children. And then sometimes it makes me sad or depressed when I think about the negative experience we experience. My brother Robert has changed a whole lot. I remember the day when my dad took the training wheels off Robert's bike. He was six years old then, and he used to ride his bike until my mama called him in for dinner. He was obsessed. But I just stopped riding my bike because I don't know why I just don't like really going outside that much. Because it reminds me of the storm, like all the debris. Just look around. It used to look like a leak. And it was quiet. But most of the time, I just lay around the house. It may seem strange, but in some ways, our life is better than it was before the storm. The storm has made us stronger, both mentally and physically. I am more confident in myself. In school, people's harsh words used to hurt me to the core. But now they don't mean anything. My brothers have been drawn towards the physical side of strength. They began fighting a lot, and now they act like they can take on the whole world. Like I'm a bad and hard soldier, I got very, very brave. I used to be very scared of crickets. One night, one got on me. I was about to scream at the top of my lungs, but I just looked at it. Like, it's going to be all right. The cricket can't do you nothing. It's not going to bite you. And it just flew off. I said, wait, and just a harmless little bug. My grandmama once told me, life has to hurt you before it blesses you. We as a family have experienced that firsthand. We have taken some serious twists and turns and have gotten lost on our journey to blessings. The water has been gone for a while now, and my family is still here. For Youth Radio, I'm Angelica Robinson. corner from my childhood home is Cafe Reconcile. Cafe Reconcile has made a name for itself in New Orleans' Central City neighborhood. The organization has been serving up hot lunches for over a decade and has provided training for New Orleans youth aspiring to enter the city's vibrant hospitality industry. Youth Radio's Patrick Johnson takes us there. When you walk inside Cafe Reconcile, you're greeted by a warm, hey, baby. Soul is the primary ingredient in Cafe Reconcile's food, and founder Craig Coochie says it's been that way from the beginning. 
I'm a lifelong New Orleanian. And the idea of Cafe Reconcile was born out of a spiritual adventure. Not an adventure sparked at a business conference, but instead from Coochie's time with a Jesuit priest who says God can't provide redemption through fried catfish and collard greens. Cafe Reconcile is doing just that, with six-week training sessions in cooking and restaurant management. The program, based in one of New Orleans' most violent neighborhoods, Central City, is helping local kids get started in promising careers. 17-year-old Jeffrey Renoir, who graduated from the restaurant program, is currently department chef in the cafe. He dreams of going to culinary school. Before Jeffrey came here, his cooking skills were limited to making eggs and pancakes. Well, now I'm cooking shrimp etouffee and crawfish pasta and smothered okra and collard greens. The point of the program is to get kids off the street and into the hospitality industry. Head chef Jerron Smith, who calls himself Chef Joe, used to be a drug dealer, making plenty of money. As I was making it, I was blowing it. When I started working here, I started here making the $6.50 an hour. I did more with that $6.50 an hour than I did with all the money I made standing on the counter. Yeah, now I'm about to be a homeowner. <laughs> Cafe Reconcile is helping Chef Joe buy a home, addressing a new problem in the neighborhood since Hurricane Katrina, housing. In the same spirit as the cafe, Reconcile started a construction program to meet the changing job market and to help young residents return to the community. Craig Cucci says, like the cafe, construction can also provide solid jobs for local kids. It's the growth industry for the next 10 or 15 years. And I'm talking about jobs that'll pay, you know, 25, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars. If they stay on the path in two, three years, they can make a real good living. To get its business plan off the ground, the nonprofit bought up some cheap land from the city. It also got some financial support from other partners. Now it's using the land and materials to teach young workers valuable skills. The cafe is starting small, building homes for minimal profit. Many would go to graduates of Cafe Reconcile. Jeffrey Benoit would be one of the first homeowners. But how does a 17-year-old afford a house? Craig, my boss, he said that, you know, my house is going to be paid for now. And I didn't get all the details. In Jeffrey's case, Cafe Reconcile and his benefactors are setting up a lease purchase plan where he can build up credit over the next few years and then have the financing switched to his name. You know, it's very important that we keep them in the community. I mean, neighborhoods like this are going to get gentrified. If, you know, so we need to get working class people on the ground. Chef Joe says with the restaurant and the construction business, Cafe Reconcile is helping to improve the city in an unconventional way. The program is catching kids before they get too deep into the street life by using a technique that works well with teens, peer pressure. Each success story started by giving one kid a good job. Their friends could start seeing them doing good, doing the right thing. Then their friends decided to come, and that took a whole group of them off a corner. You know, because that, that's the only way we can do this is like one corner at a time. And slowly but surely, Cafe Reconcile is transforming the lives of young people and the neighborhoods surrounding them. That was Youth Radio's Patrick Johnson. to a youth radio special, Generation Katrina, Youth Voices from New Orleans. I'm your host, Jara Jackson. On a street corner less than a mile from Cafe Reconcile, Tawani Green and her friends Damien and Emmett describe what it's like growing up there.
That central city neighborhood continues to make headlines because of turf wars and drug violence. Many of the casualties are young people. Kids as young as 10 are witnessing shootings firsthand while trying to maintain their childhoods. Me and a bunch of my friends was outside and someone started shooting. Everybody just paused for a second. I didn't really know what to do at first because I didn't think it was gunshots. I ran inside and all my other friends just laid down on the ground for a while till the shooting stopped. Three people got shot. A little boy got shot. I think it was about 10. My name is Damien and I'm 10 years old and I stay in the third wall. Really? The walls have not changed because they've been a lot of police on the street. There's been a lot of drugs in the city. And, and well, where we from? It just... It just number chaos out there. People be getting killed and all that. And I just want that to stop, you know. My name is Emmett, and I'm 14 years old. Since Katrina hit, People just like, they just don't, they just don't care no more. They just gonna get out here and just do what they do. People just got mad. Things just got real, real, real. They just start killing everybody. Because some people from other neighborhoods will come around here acting like they're so big and bad. And so we just get into a fight. Because I thought Katrina didn't change everybody's life. But Katrina, Katrina maybe took their neighborhood away, but they ain't gonna take their neighborhood out there, uh, out their heart, they still gonna get out here and do the same thing. Ain't no place like home. But where I live at, it's, it's nothing but the ghetto out here. And people just trying to kill anybody for over the things like drugs and all that. And money, just like $50, people killing people over $50. I just can't believe it. Not about to cry my little heart out, because that ain't right. That was 14-year-old Tawani Green with her friends Emmett, age 14, and Damien, age 10. That's why my breath is felt by the deaf, and why my words are heard and confined to the ears of the blind. I too dream in color and in rhyme, so I guess I'm one of a kind in a full house. Because whenever I open my heart, my soul, or my mouth, a touch of God rains out. Take him to church. For months after the storm, Falaj de Les was one of the only places where you can find open businesses and life in the New Orleans East region. More recently, the community has successfully fought to shut down a toxic landfill within two miles of their borders. Youth radio reporter Susan Doe brings us their story. The first residents came to Falaj de Les as refugees in 1975 after the fall of Saigon. The New Orleans Archdiocese sponsored Vietnamese immigrants to live in a Section 8 housing project known as the Versailles Arms. And to this day, many still refer to the neighborhood as Versailles. Many community members were forced to take on refugee status for a second time when Hurricane Katrina battered their neighborhood. But 60-year-old Ba Sing Lee, a grocery store owner in Village de Les, 
says that being a refugee from Hurricane Katrina was nothing compared to losing ties to Vietnam. Her niece May Nguyen translates for her. Escaping Vietnam, you you leave everything behind. There's really no turning back. That you just you leave and and that's it. You leave all your belongings, your family, your country. Whereas leaving Hurricane Katrina, you knew you could come back. That you could come back and fix your home, or that you could come back and fix your store. So just as a side note, when they were escaping Vietnam, they were escaping as refugees, as boat people. So. When you escape, it's like you've pretty much decided that it's death or something better. And for the next two decades, residents here bought homes and opened small businesses, working hard to make Valasha less that something better. So when the city opened a hazardous landfill for waste generated by Hurricane Katrina and located it less than two miles from their community, residents here were quick to oppose it. And there was much to oppose. According to a geological analysis, groundwater from the Shefmentor landfill was being pumped into a canal that runs straight through Velasquez. Many residents use that canal to irrigate gardens, in which they grow produce for their families and for local markets. But a language barrier prevented many community elders from leading this fight in the way that they were accustomed to leading. As youth and as English speakers, we felt that we could play a bigger role. That's Ming Wen, the chairman of the Vietnamese American Young Leaders Association of New Orleans, or VELA NO. We met up like every Wednesday to pretty much educate ourselves and strategize on how to combat this landfill. And strategize they did. Young people registered residents to vote. Petitioned their legislators, translated important materials for elder residents, and led multiple protests. Father Vien Nguyen, the pastor of the Mary Queen of Vietnam Church, says that this role was a sea change for the young people of Alash Deleste. See, pre-Katrina, the youth were looked upon primarily as a uh, a lost generation who were neither Americans nor Vietnamese, uh, who had no directions in life. Uh, but now they are looked upon as people who really care for the community, and and they really want to make the community better. Just when the older generation was losing hope in a lost generation, the youth proved otherwise. As youth in this community, we've been trying to move up, and we didn't have a voice pre-Katrina because they saw us as irresponsible. Uh, traditionally, uh, in a Vietnamese community, the adults. Pretty much run the show. So fighting in the landfill, we proved to the community and the elderly that hey, you know, we can do something. Youth do have power, and we do have a voice. By all accounts, the youth were the undisputed leaders of the successful landfill battle. In that role, youth not only convinced the older generation that they were capable of shouldering great responsibilities for the community, they also convinced themselves. The landfill fight opened a niche for a new generation of leaders to take on a more active role in their community. But May Wen, who earlier translated for her aunt, says the scope of these changes extends far beyond the borders of Village de l'Est. The Vietnamese American youth are starting to see its roots here in America. I think it's it's the new American generation,、um, a generation of youth who have stood up and taken claim. To this land, and that's how they're introduced into a country. The moment they take responsibility to it. Today, youth leaders are staying active, conducting after-school tutoring programs, 
helping small business owners apply for loans and grants, and continuing to fight for the removal of toxic waste from the now-closed landfill. For Youth Radio, I'm Susan Doe. Okay, and my house is in a, in a block. Holy crap. In October 2006, Youth Radio producers traveled with Jay Alcazar to the plot of land where his house once stood. Jay, a senior at Loyola University, lived in the Lakeview area of New Orleans, less than half a mile from the 17th Street Canal, which breached during the storm. Our trip was the first time Jay visited the site since wrecking crews leveled his destroyed home. Weird. I like how there's grass growing where my house used to be. It was a it was a big, like light pink coral colored stucco house. It was like a big rectangle, a big two story rectangle thing. It had flooded maybe like a foot, maybe a foot and a half, a, a few times in the fifteen years that I lived here. Nothing serious. In and we'd usually stay for hurricanes. Like Hurricane Katrina was the first hurricane that we actually evacuated for. A bunch of my friends had called in and been like, you guys are crazy. This is, this, people are calling this the perfect storm. So I convinced my parents, like, you know, we, we just need to get out of here or we just need to go someplace higher. So we went to my godparents and we decided all that in one hour. I made a, I made a disconnect from it a long time ago. Like, while like my destroyed home was here like as a reminder of like the failures of like the army corps and the government and all kinds of others and like our insurance companies because they pretty much screwed us over too um and so now that it's gone i feel kind of better being here like at least this is it's 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 pretty amazing how like just this absence of of destruction is kind of is kind of hopeful because now it's a fresh start more than three months later Youth radio producers revisited Jay to check on the progress of his home. Not much has happened since then. Um, it just feels like everybody, everybody's waiting. They don't know what to do next. Or they're waiting for insurance money to come in. They're waiting for money from the Louisiana Recovery Authority. They're waiting to see what their neighbors will do. I guess there's always the bottom line. Could could we afford to live here for a while? Our insurance company was stringing us along. We we didn't know if the state would be able to help us rebuild. We still don't know what's going to happen if if God forbid if there's a hurricane season that does the same exact thing as it did that one time. What do we do if my dad can't keep a job i remember my parents tell me that when i was born my dad had just recently got a job at at loyola university and uh i pretty much grew up on that campus and that's where i go to school now so we've really invested ourselves in in that community and it would just be so difficult to leave we're so i mean we're so comfortable here just so many things are up in the air should my parents just go back to the philippines there's there's a, there's a lot of things that we have to have to balance if we do decide to stay here, we're obligated under the terms of uh, the money that we receive through the Louisiana Recovery Authority to to live in our home for three years. Could we do that if my dad doesn't have a job? There's just there's just too much. 
That's different for everybody. There's no best solution that works for everyone. I guess I feel like if I stared at this corner and I turned around, like everything could be there. Because this, this corner here pretty much looks exactly the same way it did when we left it, except the tree was green, fence is all up, there's a guava tree that my parents like to eat from, which I, it's probably not safe to eat from anymore, I don't know. But um, I just feel like if I turned around, my whole house could be there. Like in the movies when somebody turns around and stuff's there, but uh, things don't get resolved in like two hours, I guess, in the real world. And Basin Street is a street where all the boys and the good folks meet down in New Orleans in the land of dreams. And you never know how nice That was Jay Alcazar, a senior at Loyola University and a farmer resident of New Orleans Lakeview neighborhood. Thanks for joining us for this youth radio special. Generation Katrina, Youth Voices from New Orleans. I'm Jara Jackson. Youth Radio's production staff includes Rebecca Martin, Ashley Stewart, King Anye Howe, and Al Lazard. Special thanks to the New Orleans Kid Camera Project, Voice Hope Girls Hope, Mary Queen of Vietnam Church, Cafe Reconcile, Union Bethel AME Church, Kirsta Kurtzberg, Justin Lundgren, the Jesuit Provincial Office in New Orleans, MQVN Community Development Corporation, Bela N.O., Brandy Kilborn, the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, and New Orleans Charter Science and Math High School. And special thanks to Heidi Schultz at PRI. Mm-hmm.